Ultimate Outcome Sermon Podcast. Here's Richard Elwell with today's sermon. Well, good morning. So we're starting a new series this morning. We're going to be doing a book series on the um, book of Galatians, a, a letter of Paul to the churches of Galatia. And um, one of the th- first things that really pops out when you read this letter is how much of an emphasis Paul puts on the importance of his apostolic authority over uh, the Galatian churches. Um, so I want to just begin with the question, how important is, um, is it for us to be under authority in our lives? How important is knowing whose authority we're under and what is the legitimate authority that we are under? You see different cases in history where uh, the question of authority really gets cloudy. Like, for example, you remember um, the Nuremberg trials. At the end of uh, World War II, there were a bunch of guys that were put on trial for obeying orders, for being under authority. Now, what's going on there? You know, their, their plea was, hey, we were just doing what we were told to do. How could we be guilty for obeying the duly constituted authorities that were over us. Well, the answer to that question was that the authorities that you were under were so illegitimate, so completely self-evidently illegitimate, you should have known that, and and you should have, uh, to, to obey what is right would have been to disobey Hitler and, his, and your other overlords. Uh, so you are guilty of violating a higher authority uh, by uh, being obedient to your immediate authority is really the what the the basis of their trial was based on. That was the idea that they were convicted under. We have, you know, of course, the example of uh, Bergdahl, who, on the other hand, um, uh, is now facing a court martial because he violated uh, his uh, the authority that he was under. So, how is it that uh, one group of people uh, are convicted while obeying? Uh, the uh, the constituted authority they are under, and the other is on being court-martialed for dis- disobeying that authority. It's it's not an easy question, you know. Where does legitimate authority begin, and where does it end? Uh, this past uh, week or so, there was a case in Florida where this young boy came home, and his parents weren't home yet. They were stuck in traffic. And he didn't have a key to the house. He was usually used to having his parents be there to open the house for him. So what does he do? He goes out and he plays basketball in the backyard for 90 minutes. And a nosy neighbor calls CPS and they can't come over. And they, when the parents get home, they arrest the parents for child abuse. They take the boy and his younger brother who had been babysat earlier into protective custody and uh, they threw the parents in jail uh, for a day, and it took about a month to get those kids back. Now, here's a clear case of authority out of whack, where the authority of the state is, tra- you know, is trampling on the authority of parents. So it's really a, an interesting question: where is, where does legitimate authority begin, and where does illegitimate authority begin, and how are we to relate to? the authority in our lives. I introduced this series in Galatians with this idea of authority because Paul, more than any other letter that he writes, 
insists on establishing his apostolic authority over the Galatian churches. He pulls out the I'm in charge card more here than anywhere else. His strong uh, assertion of apostolic authority over his readers is for a purpose. And the question we want to ask ourselves as we study this book ourselves, are we under ourselves Paul's legitimate apostolic authority? Does he have authority over me? Does Paul have uh, apostolic authority over me is the question I'd like you to ask yourself this morning. And what is the extent of his authority over me? And what is the result if I defy his authority? Now, why is Paul so insistent on uh, his authority over the churches in Galatia? Galatia is um, in what is modern-day Turkey. It's a region. It was a region in the area of modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, and uh, it's highlighted here on the map. Uh, and these are some churches that were located in Galatia that Paul was writing to. Now, how does Paul's claim of apostolic authority protect us? That's why he was. That's why he was asserting apostolic authority over the Galatian church was to put a a necessary cover and protection over them because they were facing something that was threatening them and threatening to um, put them into peril. And so he was uh, pulling the I am in charge card for your own good. What benefit is there for each believer to be under legitimate authority, a legitimate apostolic authority, and what harm do we experience when we think that we can be on our own and become our own uh, separate little theologians and and, um, mix and match what it is that we believe and, and don't believe based on our whim rather than on God's constituted authorities. Now, this past week in our preschool, we had an example of of being totally out from under authority. We get those from time to time. <clears throat> a young girl, a four-year-old girl, came to the school and her, on her first day, she was so completely out of control. Uh, and uh, one of the teachers gave me the list of things that they documented to share with the mother at the end of the day. Uh, the first thing that happened was the girl was spitting at the teacher's. Then she was hitting the teachers. She was using vulgar language to the teachers. She started throwing chairs around the classroom. She was standing on the tables in the classroom and wouldn't get down. When she went into the bathroom, she started splashing the toilet water over everything. And uh, she had to be restrained when she started ripping apart the toilet paper and throwing it all over the place. Um, you, You know, she started singing songs about how stupid the teachers were. And, uh, it went on and on. And so, you know, not long after she arrived, uh, we called, uh, the school called the mother and said, uh, according to our contract, it says here that we, um, w- if we determine that we're unable to meet your child's educational needs, <laughs> we can, um, you know, n- make the contract null and void. And we are definitely unable to meet this child's needs. Um, it was such an extreme example of the disservice done to a child by not raising that child to understand the need to be under constituted authority. The first thing that we do as parents uh, before we do anything else is we teach the importance of discipline and 
proper respect for constituted authority. Because within each of us is that little rebel. <laughs> um, and um, still there for me, I don't know about you, but each of us is that little rebel. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Now, authority is not a bad thing if it is if it comes from a legitimate source, if it's based on truth and love. Um, a, a case can be made that uh, less than perfect authority is better than no authority. Flawed authority can often be better than no authority at all. Certainly, we are blessed greatly if we keep ourselves under good authority. And in this case, Paul's apostolic authority is a protective uh, authority that blesses us when we're under it. So this morning's message is, is entitled, Who's in Charge? Who's in charge? And we'll be looking at Galatians chapter 10, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you, and as we uh, begin our study of the letter of Galatians, Lord, we pray, Father, that we'd first of all see the basis of which uh, Paul teaches the Galatians, which is his authority, authority that was granted to him by you and from you uh, for their blessing and for their edification and for their protection. And Lord, we too pray that as we find ourselves under Paul's authority, that it would be a protective authority for us as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Beginning at verse 1, it says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who are who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if you but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. As I mentioned, in all of Paul's letters, he identifies himself as either a servant of Christ or an apostle of Christ or, or both together. But in this particular letter, he so strongly asserts his apostleship and his authority, and he makes it clear that my apostleship is not based on some laying on of hands that men conferred upon me. My apostleship comes directly from God himself, from Jesus Christ and from our Father. It's a, it's a direct line of authority from God himself. He wants them to know that. 
And Paul introduces um, to them his credentials so loudly and clearly in this letter. And uh, he's much more forceful in asserting his authority than he is anywhere else. And why is he so strong in telling them that he is in charge? He's the one who determines the uh, authenticity of the gospel message. Why is that so important? It's important because he's worried for their safety. He's worried because they're those in their midst, Judaizers, who are trying to convince them that if they really want to be uh, true Christians, if they really want to be saved, they're going to need to add a little something to the grace of God. They're going to need to start following all of the rules and regulations of Judaism. In order to be a good Christian, they need to be a Jew, and they need to be uh, circumcised. They need to do the rituals and the various practices of Judaism. Uh, they need to add something to the grace of God if they want to truly be pleasing to God. Um, and as I'm going to explain in the weeks to come, this seems kind of innocuous, doesn't it? You know, like, okay, they didn't deny the cross. They, they weren't denying uh, salvation by faith. They were just saying we need to add a little something to it. Well, we're going to see in the weeks ahead, and we're going to see today, what happens to the gospel when you try to add a little something to it? What happens to it when you try to modify it or change it or um, alter it in any way? The, the, Galatian the, the Galatian churches needed to be under uh, Paul's protective authority. And, and the question we have uh, for ourselves is we have the same inclination that they had back then, uh, grace plus a little something that I add to it, uh, something that I do to make myself meritorious before God. Uh, what happens when I think I can add to my salvation, when I can um, be part of the solution in my life. Do we need this kind of protection of God's apostolic authority in our postmodern age of compromise where there's all kinds of synchronization going on, adding this or that to the gospel message? Do we think that we have the authority to decide for ourselves, pick for ourselves, choose for ourselves what we're going to say is true and what we're going to say is not true? Are we each our own authority or are we under Paul's apostolic authority? Are we under the authority of God's revealed truth? Uh, the theme this, of this morning's message is this, is that Paul has apostolic authority not only over the Galatians, but over us. Paul has apostolic authority uh, over me, over you. Do you see yourself under his authority? Where does his authority come from, and why is it legitimate, and why are we under it? Let's take a look at verses 1 and 2 again and verses 6 through 9. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. And 6 through 9. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, notice he puts himself in there, even if we, even if I, even if we as apostles, or an angel, and even if an angel from heaven, even if we or an angel from heaven 
should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. He's saying, curse me if I change what the authorized uh, gospel that I was given to you by Jesus Christ. Curse an angel. Can you imagine? Curse, curse Michael the archangel. If he comes down and he shares a different gospel than the one that uh, I brought to you directly from Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. These are pretty powerful statements. Verse 9. As we, as we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He says, I'm an apostle. What does he mean by that? He means, I am among those, I'm among those men who have received the knowledge of the truth directly. I wasn't in a Bible study where some guy taught me what the Bible says, like all the rest of us. I was taught directly by Jesus Christ himself, as are the other disciple, uh, apostles. We heard from the original source. And I'm bringing to you the message that is from the original source. And you have people tinkering around with that message out there. And even if I myself were tinkering around with that message, you should reject anything different than what you've heard directly from me. We've been given the authoritative message to preach uh, not from other Christian leaders, but from God the Father himself, who commissioned all of the apostles directly to share the good news of Jesus Christ straight from the throne. Now, why did Paul take particular pains to assert his apostolic authority so strongly with the Galatians? You know, think about it this way. Here's a picture of a plain clothesman. Plain, plain clothes policeman. Now, if you have a plain clothes policeman and he's walking through the mall, he doesn't whip out his badge to everybody that goes by and say, hey, I'm a cop. I have authority over you. You're going to need to listen to me. He doesn't do that. He only pulls out his badge when he needs to assert his authority because something is going wrong, because there's some crime that's underway, because somebody needs to be halted or apprehended. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's pulling out his I'm in charge badge, his apostolic authority badge, because there's a crime going on. There's a crime against the gospel that's going on, and he needs to stop that criminal uh, distortion of the gospel uh, for the sake of the people in the churches of Galatia. Paul really needs to establish his authority in the Galatian churches because uh, the gospel is being perverted there is a version of the gospel that's taking away from the gospel. The Jewish believers, as I have mentioned, have been sort of pulling them aside and saying, you know, this Christianity is a good deal for you and everything, but if you really want to be in with the sweet crowd, if you really want to be in with the authentic people who please God, you're going to have to do some other things besides just trust Jesus Christ for your salvation. You're going to need to be circumcised. You need to do the ritual law. You need to do the cleansing. You need to do the various uh, temple stuff and all the other stuff that makes us Jewish. And then you'll really be in with 
with, uh, with God completely and absolutely. And Paul's point is that when you start doing that, when you start distorting the pure gospel, you, you change it. And we'll explain why uh, a little bit today and in weeks ahead. Paul's message is that when you add to God's grace anything, you nullify God's grace. When you try to add to a un, unmerited favor, and you, when you try to make your merit merit the favor, you take away the grace or the unmerited favor of God. Either you're saved completely by Christ alone, or you're not saved at all. Christ plus anything equals nothing. To add to the gospel is to desert the gospel. The gospel is that 100% of our salvation is based on the work of Christ, not 99% based on the work of Christ, and we add our 1%. Nothing, nothing from us, all from Jesus. Grace is knowing that we are completely saved. Now, I want you just to think about what an insult it is to God when we try to add our merit to his salvation by using this illustration. Um, have you ever done anything really good and totally charitable for somebody else? Have you ever really done anything that, you know, you really sacrificed for them and then they thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll give, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll honor what you've done by giving you a couple bucks and it ruins everything? You think, oh, man, you trying to pay me just wrecks everything. Let me, let me try to illustrate it to you this way. Imagine you were driving by, uh, driving down the road in a desolate place, and you came across a guy that was uh, broken down in his car, and you pulled over to help him. You get in your car, and you drive him 50 miles to the nearest town. Uh, you get what he needs for his car. You go back, you help him fix the car. And, uh, you know, everything's uh, okay. You spent several hours and 100 miles out of your way. And he says, thanks, man. I, I just want to give you a buck for helping me out. You want to give me a dollar for what I just did? You know, you'd say, keep your dollar, and you'd wish to yourself you hadn't stopped, right? The only way he could honor you is to say thank you. To try to pay you something less than what uh, what your labor was worth is a total insult. And in the same way, we totally insult God if we think we can add our merit to his salvation. Oh God, thank you very much, and uh, I'm going to add a little of of uh, my goodness to you in order to to uh, make up for, you know, the things I've done that is wrong. When we think we can contribute anything to our salvation, it's an insult to the infinite value of what Christ has done for us. We defile his grace if we try to add to his grace. Do you think you deserve salvation? Do you think that you're so uh, special that you deserve God's love? Do you think you deserve it? Do you think that you've done anything like, of course God saved me because I'm better than these other people out here? Uh, of course He chose to save me because I, I, I know that I'm, I'm better than everyone else around me and uh, I'm good. And so, of course, He chose to save me because of my merit. 
That is a total insult to the incalculable value of God's grace for us. If we think we can do anything to repay God for what He has done for us or add to it, we totally distort the nature of His gift. The only way to truly honor the gospel is to recognize the depth of our own depravity and the height of God's great love. The second we think that we can do anything to deserve God's favor, we defile His love. Now, there is a very important place in the Christian walk for good works, and we'll get to that as we look look at the at this, the remainder of this letter. There is a place for obedience to the law. There is a place for doing what's right. There is a place for loving your neighbor. There's a place for good works. But that place is not in our salvation. It's the consequence of our salvation. It isn't the means to becoming saved. Good works don't contribute to my salvation. The message Paul asserts with all his authority over the Galatians is don't think that God saves you because you've done anything good. Or don't think that you can do anything good to add to your salvation. Again, the theme this morning here this morning is this, that Paul has apostolic authority over us. And the second thing I want to draw out of this passage is that Paul himself makes his apostolic authority conditional. Point number one is Paul's authority over us is conditional. Look at verses 6 through 9 again. He's not saying, whatever I say goes no matter what. He's not saying that. He's not saying, I am the final word no matter what. He's saying, I have authority over you as long as I'm under Christ's authority. Notice what he says here. Uh, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now notice what he says here. But even if we, even if we, even if I, even if we, even if the apostles, any of the apostles, even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have already preached to you, let him or let us be accursed. Paul is saying, look, I'm in charge here. God's put me in charge here. He's given me the authoritative message to preach to you, but my authority only remains legitimate as long as I stick to what God has assigned to me to tell you. The second I step outside of my legitimate authority, you should ignore me. In fact, you should curse me. I have authority to bring the authorized message of Jesus Christ and along with the other apostles, and as long as we do so, our authority over you is legitimate and you should submit to it. Think about the case of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This was a man who was um, probably, I mean, I have a hard time reading some of his work because he is so Christian. <laughs> I mean, he is so devoted to Christ. And... Uh, you know, his standard for discipleship is just so profound. He lived in Germany during World War II, and he was a pacifist, didn't believe in, 
uh, any kind of violence. But he came to the point uh, in his life that he realized that Adolf Hitler's authority was so illegitimate that he entered into a plot to assassinate Hitler as a pacifist. He, that plot was uncovered, and he was um, he was executed some couple months before the end of the war. Um, but he, in his total devotion to authority and to the authority of God's word and to the authority of the constituted authorities that God put over him, came to a place where he said, this authority that is over Germany is so illegitimate that it would be within God's will to assassinate this guy. That's a huge place to come to. And that's what Paul is saying. Look, if I abandon this gospel that I am bringing to you, you should abandon me. And you should abandon the authority that's over over you. Even if an angel came from heaven, and think about that, even if an angel came from heaven, it was an angel that came to heaven from heaven to speak to Joseph and say, Joseph, look, Joseph, Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. He, you know, angels bring authoritative messages from God. But Paul says if there's an angel that comes from heaven that says to you, You know, you need to add to your salvation by doing something good yourself. You need to add to your salvation by being meritorious yourself. Uh, if so, an angel tells you that, let him be accursed. You can't add anything to the 100% grace that God has shown to you. Um, now, we are in an age of compromise where we are submitting more to the authority of our culture than the authority of God's word. We are being changed more by social norms uh, and more by the idea that I can decide for myself what's right and wrong or I can be, go along with what is um, approved by uh, social convention. And we need to recognize that those uh, ideas are not authorized. They're not legitimate authorities. The legitimate authority is the revealed Word of God. To soften the gospel so that people don't have to hear about sin and hell and things like that, is not the authorized truth. The doorway into salvation is recognition that we need to be saved. The truth, the truth of the gospel shines its light both on the magnitude of God, on the magnitude of His love and mercy for us, as well as the dark recesses and depths of human depravity. If we try to come up with a message that is more pleasing to our ego, we will shut the door on God's true grace and on His truly unmerited favor. Again, this morning, our theme is Paul has apostolic authority over us. Point number one is Paul's authority over us is conditional. And point number two is to revise the gospel is to reverse the gospel. Um, let's take a look at um, seven and nine here, six through seven and nine. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is a, another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. No, let's look at nine. And 
Uh, we have said, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let me just say this. There are two types of agreements that we enter into with God. And I want you to think about these two types of agreements. Which type of an agreement do you have with God? One type of an agreement that we have with God is based on His promise. The other type of an agreement that we enter into with God is based on our performance. Now, I'll illustrate those two, but before I do, let me just say that the gospel of grace is based is an agreement that we enter into with God based on what He promises and what we believe. The gospel, I mean, the, the covenant, uh, the Mosaic covenant, the covenant of the law is based on our performance. The Mosaic uh, law says this, if you obey these principles, you will be blessed. If you disobey these principles, you will be cursed. It's based on our performance. The gospel is based on simply the promise of God. We enter into an agreement with God based on one or the other of these. We are all in some kind of an agreement with God. We're either in a, an agreement with God based on our performance or based on his promise. Now, let me try to illustrate it to you this way. An agreement based on our performance is like any kind of contractual agreement that we have with one another. If you do this work for me, I will pay you this wage. That's an agreement based on performance. If you don't do what you agreed to do, I'm going to fire you because you didn't perform. That's the kind of agreement based on performance, and that's what Old Testament law is based on. Uh, I will bless you if you obey me. I will curse you if you disobey me. You do what's right, and I'll bless you. Now, God's grace is an agreement based on a promise, not on our performance. Let me uh, illustrate it to you this way. An agreement based on a, a promise is like this. Son, I'm going to get you your bike, a new bicycle for your birthday. Okay, I believe you, Dad. That's it. I believe you, and I'll wait for my birthday to come, and when it comes, I, I, I'm expecting a bicycle. Uh, nothing is expected of the child there except for to believe the promise and to receive the gift. The gospel is an agreement based on a promise. I sent my son to pay the penalty for your sin. I offer you a way to become whole and complete, ultimately holy and perfect through the sanctifying process of my Holy Spirit. From, for I, uh, I'm going to deliver you from corruption and death into everlasting life forever. Okay, that's God's promise. There's nothing for us to do with that promise except for to believe it and to receive it. We can't add anything to it or we'll be missing out on the promise itself. You know, if we, here the uh, Galatians started out with uh, the gospel. They started out with an agreement with God based on his promise. But they were changing back over to an agreement based on their performance. And what happens to the promise when you change up and you start going back to the performance? And they were again trying to earn their salvation and turn 
their salvation into a wage that God owed them rather than a gift that God was giving them. Now, going back to the child and the bicycle, imagine if when the father gives the child his bike on, on, the, on his birthday and the kid goes, you know, Dad, I'd rather pay for it myself. Dad goes, okay, takes the bike back and just says, let me know when you have enough money. When you have enough money, you can buy the bike yourself. If we think we can pay for our salvation ourselves, uh, we, we kind of step outside of grace. I, I think we've done it many times. We're not lost. We're not say, you know, we're not damned. But God says, okay, you think you can do it based on your performance. Let's see if you can save up enough. It's an absurd effort because the price is priceless. But at some point we come to our senses and say, oops, I was trying to, again, uh, add merit to my salvation by my performance rather than just trusting and relying on your love. The thing is, is that once we come into the security of not having to perform for God, we also become free. This whole book of Galatians is about freedom. We also all, all of a sudden become free to truly perform well for God. Because our performance isn't about what we're earning. It's about an expression of our gratitude for what we've been given. Are you following me with this? It can be pretty subtle, but Paul sees this as a very dangerous um, thorn in, in the faith of the Galatians that he wants to make sure they avoid the mistake. Again, and he wants us to make sure we avoid it too. Uh, Paul has apostolic authority over us is our theme this morning. And point number one is Paul's authority over us is conditional. And point number two is to revise the gospel is to reverse the gospel. An agreement is an important thing. And breaking an agreement uh, releases the person who has entered into the agreement, if we want to think about it that way. I remember uh, back in um, 1986, uh, there were still dinosaurs rolling around for your millennials. Uh, Marty and I were selling our house up in Phelan, and we had a buyer, and that buyer had secured uh, uh, financing, not from a bank, but from uh, one of those financial guys, and uh, had the interest rate set, had everything set. It was like uh, a week before escrow was scheduled to close, and the uh, loan loan group I, can't, I don't even know what you call them, but the, the loan guys decided they wanted to up the interest rate on the deal. Oh, man. They thought they had this guy over the barrel. They thought, you know, he, he's no way he can has time to get new financing. There's no way he can change and get out of this deal. If he wants to buy this house, he's going to have to go along with our our uh, strong arm squeeze and, and and up the interest rate. I don't I can't remember what it was. It was a percent or something like that. And uh, I was mad. He was mad. Uh, and um, I said to him, "Don't worry. I know you've gone through the process of being vetted. You can get a loan somewhere else. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to say no to them." I'm going to carry this, these, this paper for two months. It'll give you two, we'll close escrow. You give you two months to find new, new financing and we'll be good to go. 
He says, okay. So we tell the, uh, the finance company, go pound sand. And the finance company says, oh, oh, that's all right. We'll go back to the original agreement. I said, no, we won't. We, you broke the agreement, and we're going with a new agreement. It's dangerous to break an agreement. That was so much fun. <laughs> we don't want to break the agreement that we have with God. And the agreement that we have with God is, I promise to save you if you'll believe that my sacrifice was adequate payment for your sin and that my spirit can adequately move in your life to change you from what, where you are to where you ought to be over time and if you believe that one day I will, you'll be holy and perfect before me based on my work, the, the gospel that saves us is, still, is the same gospel that develops us. And it's all by faith in the promise of God's work, both on the cross and the work of his spirit in us. It's all his work. And the agreement is, if you believe my promise, I'll do what I say I'm going to do. That's the agreement. And if we step outside of that agreement and say, no, God, I want to add a little something to this. We don't want to break our agreement. We don't want to break the agreement of the promise. Now, in God's case, he, he doesn't delight as much as I do in telling people to go pound sand. So I know I've broken that agreement with him. I know that I've tried to, to add to my salvation. I bet you have too. And... Um, he is patient and lets us come back to the promise again. But let's live in the promise, not in the performance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you. And, and uh, Lord, it is such a relief to know that our security isn't based on our performance, but on your promise. And as we enter into your promise, we do want to do what's right. We want to do what's good. We want to do what uh, you define as legal and lawful. We want to love our neighbors as ourselves. We want to love you with all our heart. We want to do good deeds. We want to plant those righteous seeds that bring a good harvest. But Lord, we make no pretense that we could ever, ever do enough to even begin to contribute even a little bit to our own salvation. Our salvation is based totally on the promise that you've given to us. In Christ's name we pray. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out our website at ultimateoutcomes.org. There you can download other sermons, read our blog, and check out a library of free Bible studies. If you'd like to support our nonprofit, you can click the donate button at the top of our page. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.